0: Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. Get me back! It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! They all! Hello, here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy! I- On our show tonight, Howling Under the Full Moon, we will explore Charles Band's Empire Full Moon Entertainment. We've got trancers, sci fi epics, and vampires all in one place. When you need a break from reality, let our host show you through the madhouse of killer bongs, psychopathic cookies, and maniacal puppets. Don't be a squid and join us in the fun. I'm Jack Death. I'm a trooper in the 23rd century. Jack Death, Angel City PD, may I see your stats? What did I do? Under section 7 of the penal code, the council authorized me to administer you a transfer suspect examination. You can't give me a TSE without a warrant. I got you warrant your warrant right here, pal. Okay, okay, okay. I don't want any trouble. My job is hunting transfers I got nothing to hide. Finding them, singing them. Look out! <laughs> Sometimes they find me first. Then it's a little more complicated. How do you know Whistler's location? We monitored a line disruption in Los Angeles, December 1985. Zant, Ash, and I all had ancestors in the city then. If you think I'm bringing that scum up the line, you got the wrong trooper. Unless you stop Whistler. Everything the council has accomplished for the last 40 years will count for nothing. Okay, let's say I believe this. You're a cop from the future, and you're chasing this guy Piper. Whistler.
2: Why doesn't he just turn you into one of these zombies, or me?
0: Trancing only works on squids. People with weak minds, easily controlled. Lena, I'm from another time, another world. I don't even know what you people eat for lunch. Okay, I got fried rice, egg rolls, and beef chow mein. Beef? from a cow? I thought it was rough in the 23rd century. I didn't know how hot it could get. Jack? How's my tan? It was getting hotter all the time. Jack? I guess I just attract a certain element no matter what century I'm in.
1: Welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration's Howling at the Full Moon. I am your host, Cameron Scott, and once again, my cohort in crime co host is Dustin Hubbard. How are we doing tonight, Dustin?
2: Hey, I am fantastic. Thank you. How are you doing?
1: You know I'm doing pretty good um I, I feel a little sluggish you know being in the in the space time continuum as a, a couple of buddies of mine like to call it uh this is a couple of days after Thanksgiving, so I'm feeling a little sluggish, but you know it's a good thing. Lots of good food
2: Nothing wrong with that
1: <laughs> be eating turkey for days
2: <laughs> but uh
1: I, you know and, and speaking of 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 Turkey day and uh holidays and whatnot. You know, something that I realized when reviewing, doing the reviewing watch of our movie for this evening has to do with the holidays. But well, let's, let's get into the actual movie itself. We are doing something not from the full moon lineup. But this isn't necessarily uh, is part of the full moon franchise, but started with the Empire International Pictures. This is 1984's Transers that we were doing this evening. Uh, directed by the man himself, Charlie Band. But this was an Empire picture, and this still falls within the whole gamut of uh, Charles Band's, uh, no pun intended, Empire of Films. You know, this is the the one picture that he carried over into, it's the only one, I believe, that he carried over from the Empire days into the Full Moon days, right? Correct,
2: yes. It is the only thing that Full Moon uh, retains sequel rights to from the Empire days
1: yeah and thank god they did because man what a series this is you know we're going to do these in order we're just doing the first one tonight uh but god there's uh there's well i guess you could say six of these movies or six and a half all depending on how you look at it um as we as i continue to say transfer six the sequel of which we do not speak but uh so Technically, five and a half films, including uh Transfers one point five, the short. But <laughs> I'll not, not, not get off on my usual weekly tangent about my disdain for Transfers six.
2: One you know, day, Full, when Moon, I, Full Moon would probably side with you on that because in most like series sets, they've always just left six out. So,
1: well, my box set doesn't have it. I've I've known other people that have bought the box, uh, varying degrees of the box sets that have come out, and yeah, I've never seen six included. And and you know, I think they know what they have on their hands there. They have one there that even the fans didn't want. But we're here to we're here to celebrate Full Moon. Not 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 to diss them, but but let me go ahead and do the IMDb synopsis, which is as follows. A gruff bounty hunter travels back in time to 1980s Los Angeles to stop a twisted criminal who can transform people into zombie-like creatures. And for once, that's a once that's a, a pretty fair representation. I feel like a lot of the time the IMDb synopsis is very, you know, bleak or very vague, you know, very bland on it. But yeah, that's pretty much the gist of it. And lots of times they're way off. But uh, I do love the tag. Uh, some of the taglines they have listed 2020 20, uh 22 47 collides with 1985 jack death <laughs> is back and he's never even been here before that's the, my favorite one <laughs> yeah <laughs> his name is death he hunts transers even in the 20th century or the very very simple the battle for the future has already begun yeah <laughs> i just love some of these now maybe you know a little bit About this, I I just happened upon that I knew that this was originally supposed to be called Future Cop. And as we were discussing pre-show, talking about our poster collections and whatnot, I actually have the theatrical size poster for when it was still being called Future Cop. Do you know off the top of your head like when they decided to make that change from calling it Future Cop, the Trancers?
2: I'll be honest, I'm not for certain what the thought process was there uh but i know in a lot of other countries i want to say it's been known as future cop still so um but yeah it's one of those things where it might have even rolled out in theaters briefly as future cop but i'll be honest i can't remember
1: <laughs> that's all right that's all right it, you know it just seems to me like the name transfers is just a given i mean i, I also get that get it being called future cop but it mm. just doesn't doesn't really you know play into the the mythos that they would created if they would have just called it future cop you know but yeah I'm glad they went the route they did yeah but trans
2: is a word too that doesn't translate very well into like foreign uh foreign languages so if you can have a phrase like future cop you can just kind of you know adapt that into you know cop from the future or something like that for other languages so it's it's an easier title to play with in foreign markets
1: yeah i guess that's true when you create a word you know a word like transfers and it doesn't translate into the the foreign markets very well something like future cop would just makes more sense you know i'm
2: very, i'm very much a fan and support films that make up word have like made up word titles like this because they're <laughs> they're so much easier to look up online you know if you've got like you know your classic the bl-, you know blank <laughs> you know the noun title or something like that you know or yeah. the you know yeah just yeah i love so uh, difficult to find information so if you have like a made-up word it, you look that up it's like boom it's going to be right at the top of your search well you know and it does- the movie
1: actually creates a lot of uh, its own language, you know, because since it takes place in 2247, you know, it, well, they, you know, it starts out in 2247, comes back and forth from the, that their, you know, present day to our present day, which was 1985, which is now in the past again. So we're just kind of in between worlds here, you know, um, and, you know, the, there's a whole lot of reasons to watch this series. We'll get off into the movie itself. in in just a moment but there's a whole lot of reasons to watch this series and the main one is tim fucking thomerson as jack death you know i remember reading here just recently or seeing an interview with charlie where he was talking about that they're in talks to kind of do a soft reboot or to sell the rights to a bigger company to do a remake or a reboot you know as much as i would love to see continuing adventures ventures of jack death but without tim thomerson it just yeah just doesn't work for me i'm not sure if you're of the same opinion you know but uh, it, if somebody else's jack death it just doesn't just doesn't work for me
2: i will be of the same opinion as you because you know and i've been told this by you know many people of many different walks of you know film film viewing life uh and some close friends where it's like you know m- Roles are always going to get recast. You know, it's just the way it is. You have to get over it. Yada yada yada. You know, right. in some characters you can recast like innumerable times, and it and it doesn't necessarily uh, fail. Like you know, and obvious obvious options are things like Bond and Dracula. Yeah. You know, uh, you they've been recast multiple times in different incarnations, and they they can still work. Uh, I think that there are there are certain characters in film that are just so predominantly one person that I don't think redos or like you know recastings for sequels or like a reboot whatever you want whatever terminology you want to call it a remake where I don't think it'll ever work. It didn't work with Nightmare on Elm Street because that was the first thing I thought of was, because there know. is only one Robert England and Freddie is what he is because of Robert England period same as with Bruce Campbell as ash you know and they they right. were they were privy to that thought process going into it because I think there were there was talk of actors that could be ash and then they were just like, eh, we'll just have a similar character and make it a woman. So they had, like, the, the I think, Mia character or whatever her name was, and they just right, kind of Mia, made it, yeah. a different incarnation of the character, and but she wasn't Ash. Like, so I think that, you know, it might, you know, in the bigger scope of cinema, it might seem like a tall stretch to compare, like, Jack Death to, like, Freddy or something like that, but I do think that it is a character that has... Become so predominantly known because of the actor that embodies Jack Death. Uh, I don't. There's just a certain look and vibe and charisma to the way that Tim Thomerson has played Death over the years that I don't think anyone will ever embrace any other version of him. And Full Moon themselves tried that in the the movie that we don't like to talk about when.
0: You know, they, yep. they
2: didn't have Thomerson, so they came up with a plot line to have him go into his his daughter Joe's body. And so it was like, it was Jack Death, but it was like an actress imitating Tim Thomerson as Jack Death. And it failed miserably oh, to the point where Full Moon <laughs> doesn't even include that movie in box sets. You know, they don't, it's just not, a lot of people, if you talk to like people that have seen transverse movies, lots of people don't even know there is a part six. There's a reason for that. It's because there was no Thomerson. So without Thomerson, there is no franchise, in my opinion.
1: I, I feel the same way. It's, you know, certain characters and you using the, uh, the example of Robert Englund as Freddy Krueger, you know, being so synonymous with that character. It, it's a perfect example here. You know, Tim Thomerson just embodies everything that is Jack Death and everything else is just... You know, like with yep. the, the part six, it's just a, a pale imitation. But
2: and but it's yeah. one of those, it's one of those things too, where you can look at Trancers as as a as a full franchise. You know, there is a body of of characters. There is a nice ensemble cast that carries through the first handful of them. But mm. even that was proof positive that like they weren't necessarily the the special flavor in the sauce that made it work. Right. You know, it wasn't. Helen Hunt. It wasn't Art lafleur or Biff Maynard or Allison Croft, like or Thomas Hopkins. It's Tim. <laughs> like he yeah, was, you know. Was, you know everything. I've heard a lot of, of characters dwindled away, but Tim still carried it like a boss.
1: I've heard a lot of people saying, you know, with ensemble casts, you know, there's a such thing as glitter and glue characters. You know, all the other subsequent characters were the glitter and Tim Thomerson was the glue. And that's it, the
2: best way to describe it's very, it. It's very, very true. But, you know, let's get, go ahead and get off in,
1: into some of the, the other uh, cast members and crew members. Again, this was directed yeah. by uh, Charlie Ban uh written by danny bilson and paul DeMeo, uh edited by our good friend ted nicolau you know john carl john carl Beekler, uh howard Berger, frank darabont even david allen did i mean special effects i was really surprised when i was going through the credits and whatnot when i caught frank darabont's name in but you know even he you know for as big as he got he's got some of his start with empire but it's got the great john carl Beekler, you know creature effects Early work by Berger, David Allen, the stop motion, uh, you know, and the mat shots that he was known for. Uh, and especially, speak of that mat shot, that opening mat shot that, uh, well, not the opening shot, but right after our opening in the diner where we see what's left of old L.A. in mm-hmm. water. I still think that looks really good. You know, I watched it on my Blu-ray, and it still looks really good. You can tell it's a matte shot because if you're, if you have, uh, you know, trained eyes like we do you can pick that stuff out but it's still masterfully done it, it looks really 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 good
2: yeah it still holds up really well because it's still it's still very fascinating to look at and I, I still i i still very much buy it as you know the backdrop and the, the thing to note too is, is that it's like you don't really get much of these views of you know the future in a lot of the other sequels so, no, it's no, it's neat that you do get them in in this one.
1: And, you know, it kind of starts off a little bit like Blade Runner. You know, it's, uh, even the, the, I did make a note that uh, some of the same effects guys yeah. who made some of the the spinner cars from Blade Runner worked on Jack Death's car and yeah. the other cop cars that were in this. But it also starts off like Blade Runner with that very film noir-like uh, voiceover. And Tim Thomerson is just so great at doing deadpan, you know, that he he's, just, he's just great as great as that kind of, you know, film noir-like Humphrey Bogart-type character. But I love the futuristic diner. Mom's number three. I I made a note of that. I don't know why, but it was just like mom's number three. I'm like, oh, we'll have the number two and number one. I just <laughs> – I had to wonder. But, uh, you know, Jack Death comes in, and he's, you know – a cop slash private detective that's kind of like gone rogue you know singeing transfers and i love the terminology here they singe them they don't kill them you know because like once they they aka kill them they kind of burn up into like you know basically the all this left is a scorch mark you know yeah,
2: <laughs> disintegrate
1: <laughs> but i love that term you know just you know creating some of their own terminology but I love the futuristic diner and Jack comes in and he's like, yeah, I want some coffee and like the real stuff that's going to coffee. And he's like, yeah, it's okay. I deserve it. <laughs> I'm just, I kind of love, love that part. But, you know, he uh, starts to question one of the patrons and he thinks he's a transfer. He clears that guy within seconds. The, the mom-like character uh, that's like the, the waitress of the place turns out to be a transfer t- takes a sh- shot at him with a meat cleaver and, i just love how like the the diner patron grabs jack and holds him down he's like oh hey come on it's just an old lady you don't want to hurt her and he's like he's a fucking transfer get off of me and help me (laughs) he's just so like just pissed off and i I love the fact that that's like jack's motif in most of these movies he's just really pissed off all the time but he's a man that handles his anger well or at least well enough but, but I love when he, you know, he, the fact that, you know, he's a guy who can get the job done. You know, he can knock somebody out with one punch, but he takes his, his licks. He's very much like, like we were saying, an, an Ash-like character, you know, where he's not perfect. Jack Death is, is not, not perfect at all but he's just badass he's just he's got perseverance perseverance and determination you know he takes a knife in the leg while he's fighting the old lady he gets doused in a couple gallons of bubbling hot stew you know he's not just one of these guys like a van dam type who doesn't you know can take on 15 guys with his karate kicks and never get hit once yeah I, i like a hero like that to take a couple of punches on the chin shake it off and keep on coming you know yep but that's uh, you know. But then we get uh, M- McNulty is our next character that pops up. Art Lafour. he, uh, <laughs> I-, I like McNulty. He's just a curmudgeony. You know, I love Art as McNulty. He's just a curmudgeony old man. He was a curmudgeony old man before he became a cr- curmudgeony old
2: man. Yeah, it was kind of like his go-to thing as a character actor was. He was always like just that sort of like high-strung <laughs> guy. Right.
1: Gruff, yeah. high strung, and you know, looks like he you know has had his nose broken every day of his life for a living. You know, just that uh, just rugged type guy. But he he's not like you know he's Jack's boss, but at the same time, you know, being a curmudgeonly old fart like he is, he's he's fair. You know, he's he's fair. He he keeps giving. He's more than fair. He keeps giving Jack more and more chances where nobody else probably would. You know, the commissioners, you know, and the, the, not the commissioner, but the chairmans don't really want to give him a chance. But Art is like, hey, you know, this is our guy. He's the only guy, at least at first, until they decide they're going to try and repl- they're he does a flip midway through the film. And he's like, hey, we're going to send in somebody from the green squad. And they're like, the guy's never sends a, a transfer before in his life. Yeah. You know, what is he going to do? But I love the fact that when he tells him, hey, the council needs you and Jack is like, fuck him. <laughs> you know, that, that, like, just point blank. No muss, no fuss, fuck him.
2: One thing I love about, um, Art LaFleur's character too is, is he has a very, very keen fashion sense. <laughs> like, in, the in the... and the hats and shit that he wears are so, I don't even know how to describe them. They, they're like, they're a personality all around. <laughs> like... A lot of tweed, a lot of
1: plaids, a lot of uh, colors and, and color schemes and designs that look like they belong on like not on a police officer, but more or less like on somebody playing golf.
2: Yeah, they, they look like the kind of outfits you would see on like a comic book character to me.
1: Which very much fits. I mean, Trancers play plays a lot like a comic book, and, and there were two comic book series, two little small uh, mini-series. So true. it, it, it kind of works. I, 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 yeah, I love the fact that you call it keen fashion sense. I kind of like to think that maybe he doesn't have so much Eddie fashion sense. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and, you know, it's funny that when Jack decides to blow him off, and, you know, he's like, fuck him. I love that when he goes to go back into the water, like McNulty just charges right after him like straight into the water
1: yeah and he charges until he's almost like waist deep it's not one of those like he's just like getting his feet wet no he charges in all the way till
2: he just. yeah he just walks right in like it's no thing like he's just like no you're you're doing this (laughs) like
1: (laughs) oh but the gist of our story is that now that they are enticed jack to come back because all he has to say is Whistler's still alive, and Whistler was the guy who created
2: this kind of, would you call it, I guess, a cult of trancers? You know, people that he
1: had influenced himself and turned into them using the power of his own mind. I mean, that's basically what what Whistler had done.
2: Yeah, they don't really go into a lot of detail about it other than the fact that they're just mind-controlled, you know, drones that do his thing yeah. <laughs> they don't I'm show like him me. trancing anyone you know you don't see stuff like that happen until you know one of the sequels but you don't see him make a trance or anything so it's like yeah it's all very left very subjective and open to interpretation like how they get tranced like what their you know relationship is as like a a group so you know it's, it's always felt like it was maybe kind of like a weird cult like a psychologically controlled, you know, or telepathically, I guess, controlled sort of like cult to right. me. Is, I always kind of envisioned them, especially in part one.
1: So, well, you know, and then in later sequels, they kind of become more in this, they're more like zombies. And later on, they're more kind of like vampires. And they kind of change a yeah, little bit, or at least like psychic
2: of, energy.
0: Vampires. Yeah, they
2: sort of change with each film, honestly, the concept of what a transfer is. So yeah, because in this one they're more zombie ish. In the second one, I feel like they're more like like mind controlled drones. And the third one, they're like Gosh. super soldiery type people. <laughs> and it, you know, and then in like the fourth well, and fifth ones, they're like supernatural vampires. So Well, I, I kinda like the idea behind it that 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 it does change.
1: They change the mythology with every film. The only thing that's a, a constant is Jack Death.
2: And that
1: and, he know, doesn't like, and he doesn't like trancers and he wants to kill them. That's like basically yeah. the.
2: Am I just with like, maybe the way the trancers change per film to is, is probably just because of whoever, you know, the, 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 the lead bad is, is, you know, and their aim, they're kind of like end game. So I I always just kind of look at it that way. I still kind of explain why the trancers yeah. are so different with each film. Cause trancers as a franchise, has a really good, I think, uh, sort of rogues gallery of lead villains. So, oh, My my
1: favorite, not to get off on one of the sequels here for too much, but it's part three. I love Andrew Robinson. He is the epitome of evil incarnate on screen, so I love him as a bad guy.
2: He's a really great villain, and part three is Colonel Daddy Mother, and honestly, (laughs) I might... (laughs) <laughs> me too and i might be in the minority but i'm actually a huge fan of uh lord caliban from parts four and five played by Clay hartley <laughs> like because he's just such a he's such an asshole <laughs> like
1: i do like him i like I like all the villains you know i mean it's you know, like you said it's got a good cavalcade of good villains which every with every movie
2: yes definitely you, you
1: know, you know We'll get back to to, we'll get into uh, Whistler, who is played by Michael Stefani, who also travels up the line because there is time traveling in this movie, folks. He travels up the line or down the line to 1985 uh, to become Detective Weisling. Weisling, Whistler, you know, kind of kind of works. But I, I like Michael Stefani. He's got some piercing eyes. He's very he's very theatrical. You know, I'm not sure much about his background as an actor. I did not study up on him. Uh, I should have done my due diligence and, and got a little bit more information. But I would be surprised to find out that he was if he was not a uh, the stage actor, because he had a very stage actor like uh, presence.
2: Yeah, yeah he but, has a very powerful like look to him and his facial expressions are very intense.
1: Yes, very much so but you find out that his his plan is to kill the 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 council there's three chairmen, chairman Nash chairman Spencer and what was the third chairman that was dead before we even started the movie it was uh i I can't remember started with I mean, a V, but
2: i never remember because it's a character we never even see <laughs> so i uh, never I, remember who he really is, is. It's
1: never mentioned again is never heard from again i can't, can't remember, yeah, but yeah, it's just a
2: throwaway th- plot point. <laughs>
1: like, yeah, it's just a throwaway plot point. You know, to say like, hey, this guy's plan is in effect. You know, he's traveled up the line and he's killing off, off the the descendants or the you know the family members of the council of the different chairmans to so that they he kills their entire bloodline. So if he goes back to old LA before the big one hit and submerged it under the ocean. You know. They had, you know, family members back there, so if you kill them, you kill the entire bloodline, the the council is no more, and then Whistler can have free reign of terror with his trancers. So that's where they get Jack Death to come back, you know, just by merely mentioning that Whistler's, you know, went down the line to 1985, so that's when they take Jack Death and they're like, all right, we're going to send you back up the line. They have Whistler's body, I mean, they essentially have him. You know, because his, his, his he had just transported his mind when you travel up the line. It's not like the Terminator where it opens up a portal and you step through, mm-hmm. you know, and you're kind of transported. Only your mind can travel up and down the line. So Whistler traveled back down the line to get to into his descendant detective Wiseling's body. He's right there, and Jack is just pulls out his his gun, shoots him, and I I. I, I kind of wonder if he was almost using the same gun that Tim Thomerson used as Dollman because there's different varying degrees of damage this thing does. It can hit you in the shoulder and maybe just, like, you know, singe you a little bit. Or, in this case, he shoots Whistler's body and it just makes him explode, which I just love that. He was just like, he ain't even fucking around. He's like, I'm about to just kill him now and just destroy him and that's it.
2: That's part of his, like, I'm going to play by my rules mentality whether you like it or not.
1: Right, yeah, because he's very much like a, you know, Dirty Harry Callahan type, kind of character. He is that atypical, stereotypical. You know, he's a one man army. He's going to do it his way, and that's the only way he knows how to do it. And God, love Jack Death for that. But when I love that when they shoot him in the neck, when they shoot Jack in the neck with the, you know, like, yeah, hey, this you're going to feel a bit of pressure as soon as like they, they pop him with it. There's no traveling down the line. There's no, you know, big effects scene. It just flashes. And all of a sudden we go from Jack Death with his big face scar that runs down his entire length of his face with his jet black hair, which is the only time other than the short film that follows, we see Tim Thomerson with black hair. I've seen many and many of his films, dozens of him. He always has that sandy blonde to gray hair. And to see him... With this jet black, you know, Elvis Presley kind of do with the sideburns. It's just, it makes me laugh. And not, yeah. like, in a bad it's way.
2: It's always felt but very false like, to me. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, yeah, it's like they had to make that stark contrast of, like, listen, this is obviously another character, right? Okay, we yeah. need to make, give him black hair. And it's just, <laughs> it's black in hair just not it in there. <laughs> but, like, he's, at, you know, he is now in Philip Death's body. And... He's a journalist. And so, but going back up the line, uh, you know, Jack is now in his, you know, descendant's body, who's a journalist. Whistler's now in his ancestor's body, who is a cop. So I like the fact that the roles are reversed there. Well, not really reversed, but like, you know, now the bad guy isn't a form of authority. And that's a good kind of good plot device to use for our, our hero to kind of overcome. Because now he's a cop fighting a more evil cop. <laughs> well, what I love in the gizmos and the little doohickeys that they give Jack Death, you know, where Telma Hopkins is Ruth Engineer Raines, it gives him is like, you know, he, he has the little shot of uh, antidote to bring them back up the line that's in the, the handle of his gun so it's hidden away. But I love the long second watch where it's one second stretched to ten.
2: Yeah.
1: Because I, 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 I love tropes in movies where they do things where time slows down or time speeds up because they never adhere to their own logic or their own science with it. It's like one second stretched to 10 is like, okay, I did a count on that first uh, (laughs) time they use the long second watch. It goes on for like 40 seconds, easy 40 seconds.
2: Very drawn out.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Very drawn out, slow mo, slow motion, 10 seconds, you know, it's just, (laughs) but still that's not a detriment to the movie because it's still an impressive scene, but I love when he, you know, he, uh, when Jack gets the shot in, in his neck that sends him back up, up the line. And is like in a snap, boom, he's there. He's in Philip death's body. He's just, you know, had a one night stand with a girl named Lena, who's played by Helen hunt, you know, who's this is some of her early work before she did, you know, pre mad about you years, uh, Twister as good as it gets, you know, uh, before her Oscar and everything, you know, but, you know, it was just not nice to kind of see that and remember, it's like, oh, yeah, she is in this, like, <laughs> this was pre mad about you, Paul Reiser years, yep. but I love like the awkwardness that Jack has trying to, uh, I guess you could say adjust to 1985, because the LA that, you know, as we know it present day, we're in that era of 1985, is gone, you know. It's all underwater with only the the tops of some of the skyscrapers poking up out of the ocean. It's it's gone. It's all gone, yep. you know. So, <laughs> him just trying to find a set of clothes that he can live with, you know. And the fact that his descendant, you know, Philip Death, just happened to have the same trench coat <laughs> uh that he wore in, in the future, you know, it's just like had uh, everything had changed so much in three hundred years, but you know, not fashion, I guess. And this is where we get the best line, or not the best line, but one of the lines that is often repeated in these movies, dry hairs for squids.
2: Because
1: <laughs> Jack cannot stand to have his hair just floofy and dry out, dried out. He's got to run some gel through it or some mousse to just slick it back because that's Jack Death's look. Even when he has a short, you know, when he starts getting old and gray, he, he's still slicking it back. I, I, just, I don't know what it is. I love that line. And as he put it, you know, only squids can get tranced, you know, because squid is like another term that they use just like singeing. They create their own language, you know, a sin, uh, not a singe, but a, uh, a squid is just somebody who's weak minded, who's yep. somebody that can be, you know, you know, easily turned into a trancer. And again, I love the, the use of the language like that.
2: And I think that with this with this movie, too, specifically with a lot of that language, it's done in a way that, like, Thomerson is such a focused, solid performer that, like, he sells weird lines like that that wouldn't be shit we would say, but he sells it, and you don't question it. So, unlike in a lot of other movies when you watch, you know where they try and create dialogue you know and weird ways of talking with each other and stuff that usually feels forced but i don't feel like it actually feels forced in this. it actually does feel very natural
1: yeah tim thomerson sells it he yeah. he sells that 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 lingo you know like he doesn't call cops really cops he calls them troopers you know yeah. and uh, i forgot what he referred to as a attack a taxi cab later on a transport vessel or something like that <laughs> you know just using different terms that you know are still english but using them in different ways that are different you know 300 years down the line and i just i, I like it you know it's, it's it's great you know and they expound upon that more with the sequels and like that creating more and more of their own lingo but then we get <laughs> as he's trying to adjust and he's realizing that he just had a one night stand with this girl lena as he's you know she's constantly like you know you got to take me to work. I'm gonna be late, and he doesn't <laughs> know how to get to what was it, Kawanga, Kawanga, Boulevard. And he's like Kawuga, kaw, She's like, I thought you like said you grew up in LA your whole life, and you didn't know how to find a place that was you know, ten blocks and away from your house. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love when you know she's dressing up. It's it's winter time, and this is where we'll get into my big revelation because it's coming up here soon. She's, you know, dressing up as Santa's elf because her job is to take pictures of little kids in a mall on Santa's lap. And when, you know, he drops her off at work and this bitch in 19, like 55 T-Bird, I do love the cars in this, you know, because he has a T-Bird in this movie. And I think in the second movie or the third movie, he's got like a 1960 vet or something like that, or 65 vet, you know, he just, you know, Jack's always got a bitch in car and, you know. What better to have your, your, your main, uh, hero in a badass hot rod, you know, but when he drops her off at the mall, we get Peter Shrum who plays Santa Claus, who was also in demonic toys as, uh, Sharnetsky. And I know he's been in a lot more stuff, but that's what I, as soon as I, I, I had totally forgotten, you know, that that was him when he, when he starts to fight and he pulls off the Santa Claus hat and mat and, you know, the, 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 beard I'm like shit. That's Chernetsky.
2: Un unforgettable face. <laughs> like, really? that, that that huge grin and the 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 beard and everything. And you know, it's 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 to, special to note too that probably the largest thing he ever did was T two. Oh, that's right. He was he
1: was the he, he was the guy that encounters Arnold at the end. He's the bartender, isn't he? Uh mm-hmm. huh. Runner, the guy that pulls the shotgun on him at the end. That actually the shotgun that Arnold uses for the rest of the movie, he gets it from him and steals his sunglasses. Yeah.
2: Ah, that's right. Really, really big iconic scene in
1: T2, so... Yeah, probably one of the, like, the top two or three scenes in that entire movie, most likely.
2: Totally. But he also
1: plays uh, the 1985's first transfer that we get, because as soon as he sees Jack, he, you know, just... I guess you could say trances out and we get a nice little fight scene where he pins Jack up against the wall with a set of deer uh, reindeer antlers. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, it's so ridiculous. Cause you could tell it's like a plasterboard wall that he's stuck to, but Tim Thomerson sells it. He sells yeah. it so good with it. He kind of, you know, I made a note here that another a correlation between the Jack death character and Ash is like that. Nobody, in the business can take a punch like tim thomerson except maybe bruce campbell like those two guys
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and maybe if you want to round it out as a trio reggie banister is reggie from phantasm are like Mm -hmm. the three guys that know how to take and sell a punch
2: yes but you know (laughs) jack
1: isn't ingraced with uh (laughs) <laughs> with Lena's character or with anybody else in this place because he kills Santa Claus <laughs>
2: you know I love the kid when he's like he killed Santa I was gonna say that's that's honestly one of my favorite moments in the movie is the mom like holding the kid back like, man just shot Santa Claus <laughs> like, I know. it's just like the look on his face and the, the tone of his voice is just so like he's so shook <laughs> like God, and man. like
1: You know, yeah, yeah. You know, most of the time I find child actors to be a little lackluster, but that kid, (laughs) you really felt like, yeah, somebody just murdered Santa Claus right in front of him.
2: There's a weird weird audio thing with him, too. If you notice when he's sitting on on Trancer Santa's lap, he starts to rattle off all the stuff he wants.
0: Right, Right, right,
2: right. Says, like, hungry, hungry hippos and a couple other, like, notable, like, branded transformers
1: and things like that
2: yeah but at one point he says um i don't remember the exact name but he calls he says an actual name and then he says the mandroid like he's calling the mandroid by name you know like and then he it cuts to a different shot and then you hear him say that he wants the mandroid again so i've never caught that yeah, because he he says it twice, and I feel like it's just maybe a, an audio screw up that maybe they didn't catch on to because he literally asks for the same toy twice, and it's the mandroid. Uh, like I said, it feels like he says a character's name, you know, like if you were the mandroid, it's like Cameron Scott the mandroid. It's that's kind of like what he does, but um, he says it, and you know, it's it it is to note that this movie was actually written by the same team that would later go on to write Eliminators. Uh, which was the movie that introduced the world to the Mandroid, so... Ah, that was likely very deliberate, I'm sure. So, yeah, and then, you know, Mandroid was uh, in the Eliminators, and then he would later get, you know, adapted into his own standalone kind of, you know, separate film series Android yeah, Mandroid. Yeah, was one solo movie. Yeah, now you got Mandroid, and then they had their... They had their sequel, Invisible, The Chronicles of Benjamin Knight, which was kind of like a Mandroid 2, but disguised. (laughs) So
1: Miss Full Moon has been known to do a couple of times, have sequels to multiple franchises in one title, you know, or cleverly disguised.
2: And ironically, growing up, I my video stores all had Invisible, which was basically part two, and no one had part one. So I had seen Invisible so many times. And then by the time I finally found Mandroid, like, you know, two or three years later at some other video store and I watched it and I was like, huh. It's like, I, I don't know, I kind of always just liked Invisible a lot more because I'd seen it first and so many more times. But yeah, the Mandroid, I think he probably originated uh, v- verbally in a line of dialogue in Transers 1.
1: Oh, that's brilliant. As a writer, I love that kind of thing, you know? Uh, <laughs> that's great stuff but the next part that i want to talk about though is when you know jack kind of you know he has to like put his foot down and go into full dick mode you know because he has to kidnap helen hunt he has to kidnap lena at gunpoint i mean he points a gun in her face like you're coming with me because yeah which is a great way to get somebody on your side after you murdered one of their co-workers and after (laughs) she's done already said you know have i get, did i give you my phone number last night and he's like no she's like oh thank god you yeah. know so he's not engracing getting into her good graces you know really right off the bat it takes a while before she really warms up to him when she's he starts kind of unloading the crazy onto her because like let's face it who would believe half the shit coming out of his mouth like oh i'm actually not the guy you slept with last night i'm his you know Great, 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 great grandson, you know, that traveled up <laughs> and down the line, you know, who would believe that? You would just think, okay, what drugs are you on? But when they go to find uh, the Chris Lavery character that is the descendant of Chairman Spencer, if I'm right, if I get it, if I'm getting the name right, Chairman Spencer that Richard Hurd plays. Yes. I made a note here that Michael McGrady, who played uh, the character of Chris, was a uh was a dirty cop character in one of my favorite series ray donovan and i thought i recognized him and so i paused it and i looked it up and sure enough it was just him albeit you know almost 30 years younger but yeah just a little side note yeah you know, he's a character actor that has done like well over a hundred things
2: i'm not i'm not really familiar with him from much of anything beyond trancers honestly but i know he's he's been in a lot, <laughs> and yeah, I've, done a lot i looked of up TV. and down his
1: his uh his resume and he plays a lot of cop characters a lot of kind of authority type figures but, but I, I mostly recognize him from ray donovan
2: yeah it's funny though because in uh in trancers one his his job is such an 80s job
1: <laughs> running, running the uh, tanning salon, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. It's just such a. I mean, and I guess tanning salons do, I guess, still exist. And some yeah. places, it's just not really a a big thing because I guess you can just go get spray tanned now. So, <laughs>
1: yeah. oh the idea of getting a spray tan.
2: Is I like mean, hey, it, it's, an it's alien. for George Hamilton for years, but right. <laughs> like, right. Oh no, people not, not didn't start to actually take that idea. Into <laughs>
1: Yeah, I won't knock anybody for it. I'm I'm just saying that's not for me. It's like, yeah, I'll just deal with my pasty-ass white skin and with the way it is. <laughs>
2: totally.
1: I think if somebody saw me with a tan, they'd probably think something was wrong with me because they know how much I don't like the sun and don't like to go out during the day. So Yeah,
2: and, and I don't really tan. I just burn. So
1: <laughs> I used to tan when I was younger, but then I hit my, like, 20s and 30s, and, like, anytime I go out to the sun, I just burn, so I just stay out of the sun. But his character doesn't last long because, you know, Jack Death tells him, hey, somebody's coming here to kill you. I'm, I'm here to protect you. And he's like, well, let's go in the back room. We'll talk. And instantly he's already tranced. He does a fancy kind of karate kick and knocks Jack down. And all of a sudden he's got the sunken in eyes and the the blistery lips and the, you know, the, the, the everybody kind of when they get tranced, they end up looking like they've been dead for a day. You know, or or they've been awake for a week, one or the other, which is both about the same thing. And, you know, he locks uh, Jack into one of the tanning, uh, I guess like a tanning booth. Like, I've never seen a tanning booth like this before, but I think he was just trying to bake him to death. But
2: Yeah, it was weird because it's like a a stand-up thing.
1: Yeah, I've never seen anything like that. I don't know if that exists or if that was part of the, more of the sci-fi kind of angle of it. (laughs) This wasn't the futuristic part of L.A., so it doesn't really mesh. But, you know, it's good for a plot device. It pushes the plot along. You know, we're torturing our hero. Yeah, And, you know, and then Helen Hunt, Lena, uh, comes to the rescue. And the last we saw her, she she had been left in the the Thunderbird, and she was getting ready to take off, and she was leaving him. She was like, I'm fucking leaving this crazy guy. But she comes back, and Chris has committed suicide. So, like, she sees him for about two seconds before he is uh, completely, you know, quote-unquote singed and left nothing but a scorch mark on the ground. So she's now, she's starting to come around. <laughs> you know She's seeing some shit that she can't come back to. The cops show up, Whistler's with them, of course, and we finally get the chance to see the long second watch uh, come into use. You know, Jack's quick to hit it. But then a millisecond after they, sh- they fire at him, because Whistler's like, you know, got the cops under his control and he tells them to fire, he uses the long second watch to save Lena instead of killing Whistler, you know, which is a very noble thing to do and not what we kind of would expect a character like this to do. You know, you don't expect him, I, I, at least the first time you watch it, I think you don't expect Jack to get attached.
2: Yeah, the Jack in the future
1: wouldn't have done that. No, 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 the Jack in the future wouldn't have done that. This Jack, having seen, you know, life in the old L.A., I think is, you know, I'm not going to say that Jack became soft, but he softened a little bit. Yeah, you know, And, and of course, we end up finding out later on we can, you know, we're not doing this in a linear fashion, so we can go about this. Uh, You end up finding out later on that Whistler had killed was, you know, was responsible for killing Jack Death's wife. He was using her as, quote unquote, trancer bait, and she ended up getting killed, you know, which started the whole not really started his whole hate for trancers because he already hated trancers. But, you know, that deep rooted his uh, his hatred for Whistler and the trancers and the next (laughs) that long second watch, though. You know, I I want one of those. I want one of those in life. <laughs> you know, I, I think everybody should have one of those for do-overs.
2: They would come <laughs> in really handy.
1: <laughs> That's actually the note that I had, was the long-second watch comes in handy at the just the right time. Yeah. But, you know, they, they escape, you know, they escape the clutches, you know, of, of the police officers, the dirty cops, and, well, not dirty cops, but tranced cops. And uh, Whistler or Weisling, because he's not really Whistler. He's not really Weisling. He's kind of, you know, both. And I made a note, like, how much um, eyeliner do you think they had in the budget for uh, for, uh, Michael Stefani as Whistler? Because every time they show him in a close-up, he has got some major eyeliner going on. Like, I think they just wanted his already piercing eyes to be more piercing.
2: Yeah, I think they just wanted to have him look as predominant as possible because he he is painted up pretty pretty well. <laughs> and then the, where they get to uh, the, the
1: place in China... Well, this is where they go to Chinatown next? Or they go... No, they go to her apartment above the Punk Rock Club. And, you know, she kind of gets... Jack some food and whatnot. And she gets some Chinese tech takeout. And I love the reaction he has. He's like, what are these things? Oh, they're fortune cookies. They have little notes inside. And he's like incredulous at that. And there's like, oh, and this is beef lo mein. He's like beef, like from a cow. And she's just kind of like, yeah, (laughs) I just love that. That fish out of water aspect of the movie, you know, where little things like having a real cow, you know, alive It's just kind of like you know again a little bit of a uh, blade runner going on there you know where certain animals are just extinct and they're just not around anymore
2: yeah like, they would just- they would later have like the same joke sort of replayed by different characters you know like uh three years later two years later in the masters of the universe film because when the eternians first get to earth <laughs> they they start somehow you know eating fried chicken and
1: with ribs that's right the rib bones
2: ribs or something yeah and and Tila's was like what is this <laughs> why are they on that why is the meat on these little sticks and he's like those are rib bones <laughs> and she's like all grossed out because they're eating like an animal so right right he's like i think was, I, I do remember that part that
1: was kind of a motif there in the mm-hmm. mid to late 80s ah <laughs> oh, the 80s what a wonderful time speaking of the 80s being a wonderful time i love when Uh, Lena decides to uh, (laughs) have get Jack down into the punk rock club because he hears the noise coming from downstairs. And it's music, you know, because they're in a punk rock club and she, you know, gets him to go downstairs and they're playing a punk rock version of Jingle Bells. And of course they run into one of Lena's exes, who's just a big thug-like punk rock guy who's just trying to be pushy and trying to insult Jack. And then when he does the ultimate insult by spitting spit, in, uh, you know, spitting in Jack's face. And I just love Tim Thomerson's reaction of just like, now I'm pissed off. <laughs> and just, you know, and it's a very simple line, but said in only the deadpan sort of way that Tim Thomerson can. And he lays all Mohawk guy out with one punch right down, just like that. And then gets jumped by three or four other guys. And Lena's just like, oh, we you know we need to go. And no, Jack takes every single one of them out, you know. I. Just love how badass he is. And that the I put in quotes here, the ultimate badassery is when, and this happens twice in the movie, where Jack is lighting a cigarette and he strikes the, the Strike Anywhere match on his teeth. <laughs> that just, that's make, makes me cringe because it's just like, I, I, I don't know, I, I guess because I have a, a couple of bad teeth, so that just makes me kind of cringe to watch. But it's the ultimate badassery moment. And it kind of was also like mimicked a couple of years later, you know, with uh, Stallone and Cobra, you know, always having a match in his teeth and, you know, and, you know, it's just that kind of thing that could only happen in the (laughs) eighties. And this is where I have the, had the epiphany. And I don't know if you ever considered this until I I spoke to you earlier about it, but when uh, Lena gives Jack a Christmas gift, you know, and he's like, it's Christmas already. And he's like, Yeah, well, it struck midnight, it's already Christmas. That's really when it I had the epiphany. Well, Trancers is a fucking Christmas movie. Every bit, mm-hmm. as much as people want to say like Lethal Weapon is a Christmas movie, or Die Hard, you know, whether or not it's a Christmas movie. I want to start up the debate of with people of whether or not Trancers is a Christmas movie, because I think it is.
2: It totally is. <laughs> I've always considered it a Christmas movie. I,
1: I just never thought of it that way. I just was always so engrossed with the Jack Death character. I just never even thought of, you know, never even considered it. Just went along with it and I'm like, but he does kill a Christmas San- uh, you know, a, a, a mall Santa. You yeah, know? I was going
2: to say, it didn't dawn on you when Mrs. Claus calls for security to the North Pole. <laughs> I,
1: because I just, you know... I just never thought about it. <laughs> it's right there in my face. It's a very you know, minor
2: sp- detail in a bigger in a bigger scope. So,
1: <laughs> right. But it's so uh, here I am. It's a uh, November twenty ninth, and I've watched my first Christmas movie of the season. So I've started before mm-hmm. my wife even did. So I ought to get some brownie points for that.
2: <laughs> and you didn't even need you didn't even need lifetime to do it.
1: No, didn't even didn't need lifetime. You Not at all.
2: Full moon streaming.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, this this will re- you know release sometime in the next couple of weeks. You know, I'll have my first Christmas episode. <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> Sadly, I don't think there are any other probably that I can think of other Christmas-related full moon films that come to mind.
1: <laughs> yeah, none that I can think of.
2: This might be the only, only one that I can think of, honestly. Think of a few, like, Halloween-themed Christmas, or Halloween-themed full moon movies, but not Christmas.
1: Right, right. Yeah, this might be the only one. I'd, I'd have to go through the entire library, which, you know, we will eventually do. But I'm <laughs> pretty sure that this is the only one. And this is where we get the 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 one part that I kind of, it's, the only part of the movie that comes down just a tiny notch for me is when little or baby McNulty comes along. who <laughs> I grew to like her character more in part two, you know, because uh, it was the same actress uh, playing her, you know, yes. but little McNulty, uh, I forgot her name. Uh, Allison uh, Croft. Croft. That's it. Yeah. But like, I liked her more as she got older and got a little bit more you know,
2: yeah, her acting
1: I, skills, her acting chops got a little bit better.
2: Yeah, I love Alison Croft. I think she's uh, she does obviously get better with each film she's in. Obviously, one, one point five, and two. I think I think she has a has an interesting little arc of of you know Mcnulty continually dropping in <laughs> over the years. So
1: well, it's so preposterous to have this big, big, gruff, you know, barrel chested guy, you know, as Mcnulty. Always having to go back into this, you know, this girl's body, you know, which starts she's like 10 or 12 and then she's 16. And he always like, you know, he's wanting to drink and smoke like like a grown, grown ass man. You yeah. know, <laughs> but it's like they even have the part where he's like, you know, uh, <laughs> well, I think it's in 1.5 where she's drinking and he's like, you uh, yeah, know, you
2: like, starts giving her alcohol on
1: 1.5. Right, he just hands her a bottle and, and I think it's like Irish whiskey. And, and he yep. just like starts slamming shots and like you know you're not the 200 pound dude that up the line you know you're you're gonna be fucking sloshed here and then I'll, I'll drink you under the table.
2: After, like, two shots, you're know, like alcohol nap time. <laughs> <Like>.
1: <laughs> that's right. But you know uh, I I I wrote down here. McNulty shows up to try to get Jack to go back down the line back to 2247, and he. Uh, <laughs> he interrupts jack's mojo not once uh interrupts jack uh you know and jack puts her out the door locks her out but then he shows up and shoot pops him in the neck takes jack back to twenty two forty seven, and within moments of him going back there because they they want to put somebody that's the point where they want to put somebody else on the case they feel like jack's Wasting too much time, which, you know, let's face it, Jack is wasting a little bit of time trying to get busy. But like, much like the coffee at the beginning, I think he deserves it. I think he deserves his time. But he managed to convince them to send him send him back to 1985 again because he's the only one that can do this. I think this is the next point where they find, or well not they find, but they're in Hap Ashby, which uh, is played by, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Uh, where they're going to find hap ashby who's played by biff maynard and i love biff as as hap he's just you know he plays like a such a good version of a lovable lovable drunk you know who's doing everything from stealing their watches drinking while like everybody's being shot at and you know he's knocking back shots just trying to get his his buzz on but uh whistler as Wiseling is doing a skid row sweep, having a, a skid row task force because he's on to where Hap is at. And Hap Ashby was uh, a former pitcher for the angels, if I remember correctly, right? Cause they used the baseball card to find him. Yes. That's right. I got I, re- I was remembering like, I, I just couldn't remember if it was the angels or not, but I lo- <laughs> when they, they find the three wise men around the, uh, the, uh, the burn pile. Which is just kind of like, you know, like uh, Jack is like, you know, work with me here, Lena. You're an angel. Just work with me with these guys. We need to get some information. And I think they give them what, like a bag of Skittles for their time or a bag of M&Ms or something. Yeah. For the information where they find Hap Ashby at the uh, the, the old paper mill. And (laughs) I love the part where Jack is uh, pretending to be a homeless person and he accidentally calls the cops troopers and that's when they they realize you know two seconds too late that they had just encountered jack dust so they go back to find him and one of the police officers corners jack and really jack would have been a goner at this point if uh if lena hadn't listened because he tried to get lena to stay outside and once again it's one of those action movies slash horror movie tropes where you know they tell somebody you know stay out here stay out you know stay in the car stay in the house or whatever They don't listen, and because they don't listen, they end up saving our hero.
2: Yeah.
1: Which I love, because then (laughs) they find Hap, who is known as Highball. Like, and they show him the picture, like, oh, you mean Highball. And what was that (laughs) game that they were playing? I mean, I know they were playing a version of Drunk Baseball, but where the ball was just empty bottles of booze. You know, that just seems a good way to blind yourself or to really fuck yourself up.
2: Hap just hap loves playing drunk baseball because he does it in part two also <laughs> so, Right. <laughs> like.
1: now and i remember reading i i didn't didn't look this up on like wikipedia or, or imdb <clears throat> but they they make their escape on a couple of vespas you know a couple of scooters and whatnot and they get you know back to lena's apartment and whatnot and Hap Ashby, they're trying to get him to get cleaned up, you know, and he's making himself a sandwich, trying to make a drink. He's just helping himself, being a slob. But he pops out his partial a tooth and pops it into uh, Jack Death's hand. I swear I remember reading somewhere that that was, like, his real tooth.
2: Yes, that, I believe was, it was. That was not a problem. Yes, I believe it was. Uh, I believe that Thomerson ended up giving him money to actually get it fixed, too, in real life.
1: Oh really? Like yes. fix his tooth and no kidding. Yes, because I, I just remembered reading that the the to, I didn't remember that part, but I remember reading that the tooth was real because I have a, a fake tooth as a partial and I have popped that out for a couple of movie roles. So I was just kind of oh real tooth, been there, done that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. To my knowledge, it was it was real, and Thomerson did end up uh, helping him get it get it replaced properly. <laughs>
1: well good for him
2: i know that a lot of their interaction <laughs> in the movie too is pretty genuine too between the two of them because uh biff was drunk supposedly through a lot of his filming so probably i don't know if it was like a method actor kind of thing but uh he was you know supposedly
1: supposedly really uh on really the sauce huh
2: really uh yeah lubricated during the filming so when you know just to, like, drag him around or whatever you know it's like that was pretty real
1: so oh, yes whenever, whenever thomerson is like dragging him around that's legit
2: yeah because I, I i would assume that you know he probably knew how to handle him that way anyway you know because he both him and helen hunt were actually recommended by thomerson for this film so
0: i did he, not know that
2: yeah, he he knew them both prior. Um, Helen Hunt. I feel like I don't remember if they had worked together or not prior, but uh, he he knew her professionally somehow beforehand, and uh, he was friends with Biff already. So,
1: well, that's good. It's nice to hear kind of Tom, that Thomerson's kind of a stand-up guy like that. That warms yeah. my heart that warms my heart yeah now what do you think that we're getting towards the end we're getting towards the last act last part of the movie what do you think of uh the decoy like when tim thomerson where jack death puts in the phone call the whistler you know sets it up and says hey you know i don't want to do this anymore i'm tired of chasing you let's cut a deal you know i want out and then it just cuts to the next thing you know it Helen Hunt is just bait, which to me seems to go against everything that Jack would have wanted to do because that's how he got his wife killed. And I, I, I just feel like that was just like a writing thing and not so much a character thing. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. It doesn't necessarily add up in my mind, but I feel like it was a storytelling thing. <laughs>
1: It's like somebody didn't like think about it like well you know would a jack done this i just don't think so but again it's not a detriment to the movie but it's yeah. just like i think that transition is also very abrupt and he's just like you know he tells her like hey you know i'm just you know, we're just playing them into our trap and then yeah. the, they don't really set anything up you know they don't let you know what the trap is going to be yeah. because then whistler is on the building you know on the roof of the building next door Hap is in, you know. Uh, Hap Ashby is in Jack's trench coat, playing a decoy, which seemed awfully risky to me, since that's the person that they're trying to save, so that like up the line he can become, you know, the chairman. Mm-hmm. It, it just seems awfully risky to use the person you're trying to save as bait. Just <laughs> say it, because you know, you've got decoy as Ashby as bait. Lena is a hostage. It just seems awfully risky. Uh, but you know, hey, that's yeah. that's.
2: I think it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I don't know. It was probably just a matter of <laughs> rushing things along. Because this is a short movie, you know? Like, I'm I'm very pro, you know, tight run times and everything. But sometimes certain stories, like, you, this movie could have stood to have another, you know, 15, 20 minutes on it. You know, because you could have really fleshed some things out a bit more, I think. I, I agree. i I'm not... not not often
1: will I actually say, like, a movie needs an extra 15 minutes or so in it. Yeah. I, I'm usually the opposite. I'm usually saying, you know, you could shave 15 minutes off. But th- this movie's, like, what,
2: 75 minutes it's like long? It's, 70, 76 minutes, yeah. So it's, like, there. I think stuff like that could have probably been, you know, handled a bit better and fleshed out a bit more logically with a, a longer runtime. But sometimes in shorter movies like this, you sort of jump from, you know a to c in like no yeah. time flat. so i mean i i had recently re-watched the blade spin-off film and it it kind of has similar vibes at points where it feels like it just sort of like leaps forward and you're like yeah huh it's kind yeah, of like
1: but, what? You know,
2: just, how, how do we get from
1: i think you said it best when you said that it goes from point a to point c it's like yeah. they just get point b Somewhere along the line.
2: Yeah, because especially when you see the way Jack is with Alice, his his wife from the future in parts two and three, you know, he wouldn't really probably be into doing things the way he does in this sequence you're referring to in part one. So Yeah,
1: that's what I thought. You know, that's what I kind of thought because, you know, it, it obviously, you know, it hurt him. He was obviously in love with his wife, you yeah. know, and, and it hurt him to lose her. But. He's going to put the the person he's in love with now or that he's least, you know, attached to into the same kind of predicament. And it almost gets her, you know, I mean, because Jack waits until he fires all six shots. And he's like, you fired all six shots. And she's like, it's only five, Jack. And then that really doesn't go anywhere either. But, (laughs) you know, he fires the last shot and he throws or Whistler throws Lena over the side, which, of course, Jack, for the second time using his one-time use because he got another watch sent up the line with the, the long second watch because they're only a one-use one-use kind of gag, which I like that idea. It's kind of like the Mission Impossible mode, you know, use this or it's going to self-destruct. Use it once and it's done. Yeah. But he uses it again. I, I think it's very poignant to say that he, you know, Jack uses it to save Lena again instead of taking out Whistler, which that's the whole thing is to take out Whistler and save Hat. Ashby he uses it twice to save Lena so it you know it it says how much he he's attached to her and I like that you know but um half to the rescue half is you know to the rescue as Jack is kind of uses his belt to kind of do a a Indiana Jones down the power line to drop down to the first floor to grab Lena before she would obviously fall to her death and he saves her again Hap just starts chucking garbage and bottles at uh whistler and here it is this drunk old man you know that you know is missing teeth and been you know homeless for years you know just pinpointing with with pinpoint accuracy taken out he takes out whistler and we yeah, didn't take him out he, but like he,
2: he pretty much serves him up to jack though <laughs> like right. with with very little effort
1: yeah just with like like think it was a rotten apple and a broken bottle that he throws Dang. at him yeah And he falls down into that little like fountain area,
2: <laughs> totally so in the, I have to say, in the bigger scope of the entire franchise of like you know the six and a half ish films, Whistler is probably one of the most important villains, but at the same time he's one of the still sort of lamest and the easiest to defeat because his his defeat at the end of this movie is so simple,
1: <laughs> like it is. It is. That's why I like uh, Colonel Daddy Mother. You know, it it takes yeah. It, it. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get into that. Transverse Three, my favorite of the franchise. Well, Mine uh, is, we, well. <laughs> oh, really awesome, awesome. Well, oh, good. Yeah. I can't wait for us <laughs> to get to part three.
2: Growing up, it was part two, but you know, as an adult, it's it's changed to three because I can I can see the. You know, there's pros and cons to every movie, but I I think there's a lot more a lot more beef in part three (laughs) so
1: yeah yeah like i I think you know the same thing growing up you know coming up as a teenager i liked part two but then when part three came out you know it, it just surpassed part two on so many levels on the action level acting uh storytelling but yeah, uh, We'll get into that at another time. Yeah, part three, best of the franchise. We'll we'll get to that sooner or later. It might be sometime next year, but we will get to it. Definitely. But, I love the fact that w- once again, Jack has those two shots of antidote in his in the butt of his revolver, and one of them is busted. So he's got a choice to either send himself back up and let you know Wh- Whistler go away, kind of un. Uh, how you want to say? How do? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? You know, uh, not paying for his sins. You know, not paying for his crimes. But he jabs him in the neck to send Whistler back up the line to a body that's no longer there. So he yep. he kills him, essentially by sending him back up the line because there's nothing there. His body's been ex- you know exploded into a million pieces. Yep. And it's you it's know,
2: it's funny too because that defeat it was later mimicked in one of full moon's other other classic franchises because at the end of axis termination that is how ivan ivanov for the most part psychically defeats uh the lead nazi gerda ernst is he just separates her consciousness from her body and sends it out into the you know universe and he does it is very similar isn't it sort of like mentally separates her her Consciousness from her human shell, and she just ceases to exist. So, well, you know, that's the thing. You know, if 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 you're gonna rip
1: anybody off, rip off yourself. Yep. You know. Oh, <laughs> but not that that's a really a rip off. That's just like you know, there's only so many uh tropes and storylines and plot points that you can use. And as a writer, I've I've used the same. You know kind of plot driving points in multiple scripts so i i see it i get it but uh <laughs> i like the fact that he's, he sends him back up the line without the body it's just it's great but now jack is trapped in 1985 but as i put it here in a quote we know better we know better than to think that he's always going to be stuck <laughs> you know back in the past because he's going to jump back and forth from the future to the to the past from the 80s to the 2200s and then back to the 13 or 1400s when part four and five and, you know, the, there's a whole lot of time jumping going on, you know, with this because this, it's a little bit horror, a little bit sci-fi and a lot of action. Definitely. But, you know, Jack is, is time hopping and, and, you know, and we get a little bit of Little McNulty at the end to come out. Do nothing and (laughs) just kind of smile. Quick,
2: like I'm still here spying on you, Jack. Kind of vibe. Yeah, just to kind of let
1: you know, like I'm ready. I'm ready to, you know, whenever you fuck up, I'll I'll be watching you, fucking McNulty. (laughs) But he's the curmudgeon-y, you know, grungy asshole old man that you just love. You know, he's 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 kind of like that grandfather you have that you're just like, oh, that's this old grandpa. But you know, like, and that's the end. But you know what a beginning, what a beginning for such an iconic franchise. Um, God, we could go on for forever talking about this franchise. If we were covering all five movies or all six movies, we could we could fill hours and hours worth of a uh, worth of a podcast just just between the two of us. You know, definitely. So, that being said uh you want to go ahead and give us your final thoughts and uh, rating on a scale from one to ten and maybe tell us what the, you know what this iconic movie means to you
2: sure you know i I happened onto Transers as a as a young teen not really knowing what it was I think I had only rented it because I saw Charles band's name on the box and the VHS cover didn't really grab me so I was kind of apprehensive to get it but it's something I I watched, and as a kid I thought it was kind of interesting sci-fi, but like I said, with, you know, my mentality of two and three, it's something I had to really grow up and go back and revisit to actually appreciate with, you know, adult eyes. It's a really good movie, you know, it's, it's very low budget, it's very low tech, you know, but there's a lot of neat ideas, there's good acting, there's interesting storytelling, you know, the script is solid, you know, the directing is solid. Tim Thomerson is, is and always will be a fucking boss, period. Like, he's, you know, version of, like, a Reggie Bannister or a Bruce Campbell, you know? He just is cool. And he is, like, a hero, you know? He's like, he he is just the definition of cool, and yes. Trancers one laid some really solid groundwork. I think for what ended up becoming, or you know, one of Full Moon's signature franchises. Because like I said, when Empire folded and Full Moon was born, this is the only one that you know we kept getting sequels to, as it was the only one that uh, sequel rights were retained to somehow. So, you know, I as a kid, I loved. You know, I think I saw part two was one I had trouble finding as a child, too. Kind of like the original Mandroid. So I saw part one a lot. And, you know, and I'm like, man, I want to see part two because they would always have the trailers for it on the friggin video zones. And it drove me nuts until I finally found it. But I love Jack Death. I love I love the universe. You know, I love the, the characters. And it's just it's it reeks nostalgia for me honestly it reminds me of being a kid and growing up watching jack on all of his you know crazy exploits fighting transers fighting with his wives you know? <laughs> wives plural <Fight>. right <laughs> yeah totally you know because that's that becomes a big factor in a lot of those sequels is this is you know female trouble so you know like uh, I I jack just has loads of yeah, I just love Jack Death, you know. And it's like I said, this set set a solid groundwork for a, a really powerful franchise for Full Moon that unfortunately has been stagnant for a while now. Uh, but, you know, who knows, who knows what will eventually come to pass with it. But for me, Trancers is a really, really solid view. And I think anyone that hasn't seen it that likes sci-fi or, you know, action should watch it because it's it's a fun movie you know you don't have to think too hard with it you know there's a lot of technical shit going on but it's definitely a popcorn action sci-fi kind of thing and can't not love jack death so you know i for me it's a nine
0: nice nice Uh, i
1: agree with you there's a lot of nostalgia here I, I saw, I, I remember picking up part two before anything, because I knew who Tim Thomerson was <clears throat> from Zone Troopers. I knew he was from watching Uncommon Valor. So I had heard of Transers, but it never never popped up at either one of my local video stores where I was from in Indiana. So I yeah. saw part two first, you know, so unfortunately I saw it out of sequence. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those, this is a full moon movie, so opposite for me i saw part two first but i ended up having to travel about 35 45 minutes my mother was actually very cool enough to drive to a a video store you know that was more than an hour hour and a half round trip to to rent part one for me and you know this is the days long before internet long before dvd this is in the vhs days and again i remember like looking at like wow this doesn't look the same you know from the the, the VHS cover, but I remember, oh. you know, I was instantly hooked with part two and they give you enough of a recap with part two. So you kind of know what you're getting into. If you haven't seen part one.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. This is all Jack death for me. You know, there's a lot of things I love about it. It's a fringe kind of movie. It's, it's on the fringes of sci-fi of horror of action, you know, an adventure, even a little, you know, romantic, uh, you know, drama kind of moments because mm-hmm. You know, the Jack Death's Lady Troubles are very prominent, at least in the very first three movies, <laughs> you know, yes. with his uh, future wife, his past wife, girlfriends, and yeah, he he has Lady Troubles left and right. But Jack Death is just the, the coolest, you know, I, you said it best. You, I can't say any better than you did. He's a boss. He is just, he's not just a boss. He's the boss. He is as iconic of a character as um, Bruce Campbell's Ash, Reggie Banister's uh, Reggie from Phantasm. I know we keep going back to that, but they're yep. they're very similar kind of everyday men ca- kind of characters.
2: It, you know, it comes down to they just have that natural born fucking charisma. They don't have yes. to try to be cool; they just are. Yeah, period.
1: and Jack, <laughs> yeah, Jack Jack Death just is cool. Tim Thomerson yeah. is just. He's the epitome of cool. He's the epitome of badass, you know, and he's one of those classic, just classic good guy, hero type characters. You know, the, the one man armies that I just love so much that it, it was a character that only could have been born out of the 80s. And yeah. I love it. I I love the sci fi angles of it. I think uh, it's had some really great directors with Charlie Band, C. Uh, C. Courtney Joyner, you know, and had a lot of good, great writers behind it and good Villains, you know, throughout it, you know, even though our our first villain in Whistler is, you know, kind of uh, the biggest pushover, I guess you could say, or the easiest defeat, yep. the easiest win uh, of, of the series. But, you know, it's oh, great acting, great direction. The writing is solid. It's one hell of a beginning to a, a great franchise. And I'm coming in at a 9 out of 10 as well.
2: Nice. You know, uh, it's it's definitely... I think one thing that it, I've heard Charles Band talk about this, and I you don't hear people say it much, but it is genuinely one of the most original approaches to time travel you will find in film, too. Yeah, I do like
1: it. I, I like it that uh, that is the idea of transferring consciousness from one body to the next. I like that a- angle of it, and yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with Old Charlie on that one.
2: Am Am I correct in thinking that? assassin's creed eventually sort of adopted that approach for time travel
1: you know i don't know i I am an avid gamer but i never got into the assassin's creed movies or the assassin creed games
2: i'm i am not a gamer at all and i did not watch the movie but i just something in me i feel like i heard that it was similar but i didn't see it so i can't say for sure but yeah i can't either definitely original for its time
1: so yes that it is you know it has been dormant and and silent on the jack death transfers front for many years like i said other than the one interview that i saw recently where you know charlie had said that they had optioned it to a larger production house to possibly reboot it Mm -hmm. i I would you know i'm not hip with that uh you know, I would much rather, I'd want to see something like like they did with Logan. I'd like to see an old man Jack. Yeah. You know, You know. I mean, let, let's <clears throat> let's face it. I mean, <laughs> Tim Thomerson was already an old man when he was playing this character. But I kind of feel like they could really pull something out of left field and get this, you know, a, a future where Jack Death maybe doesn't have transfers to singe anymore yeah. or something would- like that.
2: We would definitely need one of the reboot style sequels, and i and i hate I hate sequels that pick and choose what they wanna springboard off of, but you, to bring him back proper, you would have to retcon part six because if I'm remembering correctly, the reasoning for him having to go into Joe Death was because his his I think his body was no good anymore. Yeah, because it was almost like, that, <clears and throat> like was it was calcified. kind of freezer burnt. Yeah, it was earlier. calcified, and he needed to go back down and, you know, some nonsense. So the whole idea of basically just displacing his consciousness in a completely different... <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, o- I'm okay with them re- retconning that. They which, can retcon part six all they want. Yeah, which would, which would never have really worked in the first place, because no offense to... The actress, uh, ZD Sullivan, I just... That deck was stacked against her from the first audition, in my <laughs> opinion. So uh, Yeah, I feel she like she was best, set up for she, failure right
1: yeah, from the Yeah, she might have been again. the
2: best of the bunch, you know. I'm not going to say that she sucks, you know. But uh, she's just not Tim Thomerson. So, yeah. <laughs> you know. And you just... You can't be that. You you either just are that cool or you're not. Period. Yep, you're either and, Tim and... Thomerson you're not like right
1: and none of us are tim thomerson there's only one tim thomerson yeah
2: and you know he you know he's he's just a force and a personality that you know you put him in that kind of noir setting with you know it's kind of like his own like low-key bond in a way because he gets his own little gadgets and shit you know yeah yeah. it's a whole immersive world you know and you just i don't see how you can't love it Honestly,
1: I really don't. So Right. Yeah. Like uh, there's kind of two trains of thought I have with transfers. You either love it or you're wrong. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I had friends uh, growing up when I was a, 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 t- a teenager and, and, you know, especially, you know, throughout my junior high and high school years when I was writing for the school newspaper, they would always go Jack who? And I'd be like, yeah, fuck off. yeah still still to this day i have a couple of these same friends that people that i know from my high school days and they will every once in a while jab me and be like oh jack death jack who and i'm like yeah fuck you (laughs) (laughs) you just don't know you either are hip to jack death or you just don't get it you know but yep gotta love jack much love for jack well that being said, I think we'll call it an end to this particular episode. I want to thank you, Dustin, for joining me, for, especially for this one. This was a big one. Uh, you know, I, I really think, other than Trance or with Trancers, other than that, really, Subspecies and the original Puppet Masters are the three big tentpole, you know, uh, original series from Full Moon that are just legendary, iconic. And I was glad that we finally got a chance to cover this one we have a lot more ground to cover with jack but
2: remember dry hair is for squids
0: jack you can't ignore the summons. it's the highest honor there is you know lieutenant i think i found the old chinese theater out there i'm gonna go back in the water before the storm blows damn it jack the council needs you fuck them